Is sin really all that bad? I think at one point or another, most of us have asked that question or at least thought that question. It takes various forms. Is sin really that bad or the consequences of sin really that bad? Or maybe we say, aren't there some sins that aren't that bad? And aren't there some sinful things we do where there really is no cost? There is no consequence. There is no negative outcome. Or if there's a chance of a negative outcome, it only affects me. So if I personally decide I'm willing to take that chance, suffer that negative outcome if it comes, then why should that sin be forbidden for me? Hi, folks. This is Andy, the analytical preacher. And in this podcast, I want to answer that question. What I really want to try to do is sort of destroy that question and remind us that sin is as bad as the Bible paints it to be. Jesus told us, the prophets told us before him, the apostles told us after him, We need to try to walk away from our sins, turn back to God, repent. If you go to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday, a preacher is likely to tell you you need to walk away from your sins. Sins are bad. They're harmful. How bad are they? I want to try to answer that question by looking at a couple of stories in the Bible. One, the story of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. And then another story that actually has to do with going to the bathroom in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And between our apples and our manure, I think we can all agree on the answer here. Yes, sin is absolutely horrible. There is a useful lesson. It's not the point of this podcast, but there's a useful lesson. When we look at that story, the account in Genesis of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit, and that lesson is this. The way that Satan got them to move and to rebel and sin against God was by getting them to doubt, by getting them to lose a little bit of trust and a little bit of faith in God. Satan was saying, there's nothing wrong with you eating this fruit. In fact, there's benefits to you eating this fruit. There, no harm will come of it. You see, God's rules are a little bit unfair. They're restricting you a little bit. Why would he do that? Don't you know what's best for you? Do you really see that it's going to be all that bad? Well, God told us not to. Yeah, but think about it for yourself. Be your own boss. And instead of laying total trust and having total faith in what God had told them, at least momentarily, Their trust lapsed. Their faith waned a bit, and they ate the forbidden fruit. But here's what I want to focus on, the results of that. Now, God had told Adam, the day you eat of that forbidden fruit, you will surely die. But I don't think Adam or Eve had any understanding of either physical death. They had not seen a physical death of a biological creature yet, nor any understanding of spiritual death, what it would mean to be cut off from God in the garden. And these other negative consequences that came, the dimensions of which the breadth and the depth of the ramifications of what they had done were so incredibly broad and long lasting and devastating. I just don't see how they could have possibly known all the bad things that would happen to all the millions of people down through time based on just that one decision. But when we see it clearly from our vantage point, it reminds us how bad sin is, why God hates sin so much. And we hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, we can't afford to be like Adam and Eve and lose that trust and lose that faith in what God tells us to do and not to do. Let me read the account of the curses that God just quickly lays out after they've eaten the forbidden food. We're going to go to Genesis 3. I'm going to read verses 16 to 21, and that says this. To the woman, he said, 
I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. First thing we see immediately, an animal had to die. Garments of animal skin were made for Adam and Eve as soon as they sinned. Sin, death, sin, shedding of blood. We see that connection immediately. But it's not just every time one human sins, one animal dies. So much greater and broader and more significant than that. God said to the woman, childbirth, which is really kind of the woman's claim to fame. It's, she's the mother of all living things and all women who give birth have this incredible privilege from God. But God said, now that incredible privilege is going to come with incredible pain. The marriage relationship itself, we're told here, which was designed for the two to perfectly unite and become one flesh, the marriage relationship will be strained. It's now cursed. Humans are going to suffer physical pain. Their work is going to be much more difficult. And ultimately, every human and every other biological creature is going to end up dying. Oh, yeah. And for creatures designed to live forever and not feel pain and not be strained in their relationships and not have difficult work, but have only ultimate purposeful, fulfilling work, for the folks who are suffering all those things, you're now also cut off from the presence of God by being kicked out of the garden. Absolutely impossible for Adam and Eve to have begun to understand even 1% of what the negative consequences were going to be of them taking a bite of that fruit. And that's the point. We cannot understand all the consequences of our sin. We know that they are bad, but the consequences are so deep and they the secondary and tertiary effects so broad and so devastating, our minds can't comprehend it. And what God says, the solution is not for me to necessarily explain to you every potential effect. The solution is for me to tell you, do these things and do not do these things. And you put your total faith and trust in me, not to understand me necessarily, but to trust me. And each individual sin can be that devastating, whether we see it or not. Let me jump to our other story here with a little setup. Historians tell me, war historians tell me, that the main cause of death in all the wars that have ever been fought was actually disease. And up until World War I, they say, disease was by far the main cause of death for soldiers in war. In World War I, historians say it was sort of split 50-50. The bombs and the bullets were getting better, and so they caught up, and about half the folks that died might have died of actual battle injuries, and half the folks died of disease. Since then, of course, the bombs and the bullets have gotten much more powerful and much more precise, and we understand 
better about health regulations now. And so now it's the munitions that take out the majority of the soldiers. But think back 3,000 years ago with the limited power that the weapons had and the complete lack of understanding of any type of health or sanitation, almost every war was turning on who had the healthiest troops. And if a disease swept through and the enemy found out the disease was sweeping through your troops, you were almost destined to lose. Now, let me tell you what our little excursion into history has to do with this podcast. God had actually, as he rescued the Israelites from bondage in Egypt and set them up in their own country, he told them that there would be hostile nations around them that sought to do them harm. And so God gave their army specific instructions on how to go about doing their defensive and protective business. One of the more interesting verses in those commands, and in fact, to me, one of the more interesting verses in the entire Bible, one which I have used for youth devotions over and over, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 12, 13, and 14. Let me read this for you. This is God instructing the Israeli soldiers. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Modern English You need to take a small shovel with you when you need to poop. And it doesn't matter where you're at in the camp or how tired you are or how ridiculous this rule seems to you. But when you need to do number two, you need to take your little shovel and you need to go out and you need to dig yourself a hole and you need to poop in it and then you need to cover it up. Plain and simple. The more common route, of course, was to go close to a river or a creek and you would do your business there, and then you could immediately wash yourself from having done your business there. Here, of course, is what we know today that they didn't know 3,000 years ago. When all the soldiers are pooping in the creek and in the river, E. coli begins to run rampant, dysentery takes over, and soldiers are dropping dead without anybody having fired a shot or swung a sword. And that's exactly what God is saying. Your camp must be holy. What does holy mean? Holy means set apart for a specific purpose. God is saying your camp needs to be set apart. It needs to be clean. You don't understand what I'm saying, but it needs to be clean because thousands of years from now, humans are going to figure out that it's all these bacteria and all these parasites, which absolutely can come from sewage in our water sources that makes people so sick. I'm giving you a tremendous advantage here. And as we read in the Old Testament, about some of these battles, we see it says that the opposing army was all sick and the Israeli army was easily able to go in and conquer them. But where we have to hold a mirror up and look at ourselves is to say, imagine we're an Israeli soldier and we're tired and we're at the very front of the lines. And in order to go to the bathroom, we have to walk away from the enemy a mile and a half to get to the end of the lines to go out in the middle of a bare field and dig ourselves a hole and squat over it and cover it up. 
when there's a nice creek running right over here and I could just go and use the bathroom in that. Here's the problem, of course. If I use the bathroom in the creek there, then everybody, all my fellow soldiers downstream from me in that creek, again, if I'm at the front of the line, all my fellow soldiers downstream from me are now much, much more likely to get sick. And I say, okay, it's a sin, but it's not hurting anyone. And God says, you don't know enough to know that. You don't know. In fact, it is hurting someone. Now today we would say, no, 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 we understand if we have COVID and we go out and cough on our coworkers, of course we understand that germs can pass that way and so forth. But God is saying, yes, but there are other sins that you commit and you don't understand. When you cuss in the car by yourself, who else could possibly get hurt from that? If God could show us the flow chart of how bad things happen when we cuss when we're alone in the car, when we look at porn when we're alone in the house, when we say something about someone behind their back, but they're never going to find out about it. If God could show us like Adam and Eve saw, like we now understand about these Israeli soldiers, I think we would come to the conclusion, sin is horrible. We see why God hates sin. Again, think about it. I just say I'm not doing it. I'm not walking a mile and a half to go crap in the ground. I just refuse. Nothing bad's going to happen. I'll take whatever consequences. But then soldiers get sick. And then those soldiers, they die in battle. And now their wives are widows and their children are orphans. Or maybe an entire territory that used to be controlled by Israel now gets taken over. And all of the women and children who were in that territory that the military was designed to defend, they're now the slaves of the army that was invading. It is hard for us to imagine that taking going to the bathroom one time in a place where God says not to could have that massive of a ripple effect. And again, if you say to me, but preacher, how is it that me cussing when I'm alone in my car or looking at something on my phone that doesn't nobody else knows about and it doesn't involve anybody else? How could that possibly be that bad? And I would just say, think about Adam and Eve and think about the Israeli soldier. No way they could have understood the consequences, but the depth and the breadth of those consequences are absolutely staggering when we can look back and see them in hindsight. So let me close with this. Yes, sin is bad. All sin is bad. Sin is horrible. And it not only hurts us, but the worst part about sin is that it often hurts other innocent people. And we see that. We know if we go driving drunk down the road, we could accidentally hurt someone or kill someone in another car. God says every sin is like that. Every time you choose to rebel against what I have explicitly told you not to do, you run that risk of another soldier dying and his wife being widowed, or you run that risk of hitting someone when you're drunk driving and doing them permanent damage or whatever the consequence may be. So let me close with a verse from Hebrews that talks about faith. Because again, ultimately what God is saying is, I can't explain to you the consequences, the primary, the secondary, the tertiary consequences of every sin that you commit. But I can tell you by faith, I'm asking you to believe me, you shouldn't do those things. Hebrews 11.6 says this, 
and without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Seek to please God by obeying what he asks us to do, knowing through faith that he will reward those who do that. And seek to avoid the sinful things that God tells us to avoid, having trust in his word that sin is bad and the consequences are horrible, even when we can't understand it. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.